And good afternoon. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. How's it going today? Oh, just great. I mean, our song is extra relevant today, I suppose. You know, I just like that song more and more these days. It really fits. It speaks to my soul. Yeah. It's like, we'll go from our emergency fire update to our continued pandemic double surge. Quadruple. No. How do you say four? Quadruple surge uh, with the Delta variant. So let's get to it because let's just bring on the bad news. (laughs) Well, okay. That's what people listen for, right? From me, at least. (laughs) So um, we're still adding a fair number of cases in the county. Um, Things are not getting better. Uh, They're not getting significantly worse from last week. Um, Maybe a little bit of an uptick, actually, in the daily case counts. Um, In the week, with our delayed data coming from county, we've added 277 new cases in Mendocino County, um, bringing our total case count to 6,469. We have nearly 600 people in isolation quarantine. 430 of those are in isolation, which is to say they have active COVID. Um, The low number of people in quarantine still bespeaks the effective absence of contact tracing. Um, We still have 24 people hospitalized in the county, six in the ICU. Um, Those are very large numbers for this very small county, it should be noted. Um, The good news is no new deaths. Um, the bad news is we are now doing approximately three to four to five times worse, um, depending on which county you compare us to uh, when compared to Bay Area counties. So we are really excelling in spreading COVID amongst ourselves. Um, California is improving generally faster than we are, certainly. Uh, we're adding, and it finally dropped under 10,000 a day. We're adding about 9,000 new cases a day, 31% drop um, over the rolling seven-day average. Um, the, the, the hot spot in California, the hot region in California, if you look at the heat map, is really up uh, the northern reaches of the Sacramento Valley and northern California, north of the Bay Area and extending into the northern Sierras. Uh, so, you know, things are really not improving significantly. The United States is, as a whole, generally improving. It really reflects regional differences, though. So some areas are getting significantly worse, and other areas are significantly improving. It just really depends where they are on this Delta yo-yo. Well, it, I don't know. It felt like at the Friday briefing from public health, it felt like we might be just notching up just a little bit better in our numbers, but it doesn't sound like it. Mm, yeah, I don't really see that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not getting crushed in the ER with you know, symptomatic COVID cases, to be sure. We're seeing a fair number. Um, but in general, uh, the hospitals have adapted and are managing to attend to the healthcare needs of this fairly high number of um, COVID patients that we're seeing in the county. How do you adapt to something like that? Well, we have flex units that are open. Um, that's where most of the COVID patients are hospitalized. Um, those don't typically <laughs> exist in a pre-pandemic. Um, I'm imagining them as like some sort of tent. No, they're indoors. They're not quite okay. that primitive. It's not that flex. No, but we do have a tent in front of the ER again. We we put one up at the beginning of the pandemic, and then we took it down, and now we have another one. And I see a lot of people out front who have you know normal vital signs, and if they don't need to come in, um, we don't bring them in. You um, literally see patients out front. I literally see patients out front, yes. And so is there some sort of triaging where if, if they have normal vital signs, they'll just send them home? 
Yes. So what? Well, I mean, the way it works, if somebody has symptoms consistent with COVID, um, they will be triaged out front. Uh, you know, if they're if they're not an extremist, obviously, um, vital signs. If they're normal, the triage nurse will come and get a medical provider. And it's an extremist. Um, in distress. Oh, okay. So yes. like really hurting. Really hurting or having a hard time breathing uh-huh. or, you know, an abnormal vital sign that causes some significant concern. And then one of us, one of we providers will go outside and see them, listen to them and talk to them. And oftentimes we'll test them for COVID or they already have COVID and they're coming back for a recheck, which is entirely reasonable. Um, and if everything looks okay, we send them on their way pending a COVID test. Um but that's that's the new normal. Uh, we're doing that over and over again. All right. So, but it sounds like we have really high numbers in the hospital. Pretty high. You know, it's not getting. It's improved. We were over thirty um, a week or two ago, uh, or three weeks ago. Right. So it's notched down a little bit. It's but notched still... down, but not really dropping. And right. you know, once somebody gets hospitalized with COVID, they tend to have longer hospital stays. Um, unfortunately, some of our really, really sick, um, long, long-term um, COVID patients um, succumbed to the illness over the course of the last couple weeks. Um, and the number of people that have been in the hospital right now is is actually for for more than a week is actually fairly low. Um, but it's usually a multi-day stay before you can get sufficiently stabilized and go uh-huh. home. Uh-huh. And of course last week at the end of the week we got news of three new deaths in our community and they were yes. extremely young. The youngest was 36. Yes. Yeah, so the death count for the county stands at 67. Um, I don't think that there were any um, over the weekend, not that I know of. So have you got any other sort of news? Because I have a couple questions just about how it all feels right now and what it's like to be vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Because um, we have the fair coming up, of course, next weekend. Oh, yes, the fair, the fair, the fair. And, you know, we're getting this terrible terrible picture of the number of cases and the hospital uh, the hospitalizations but for vaccinated people in our community it's it's not as dire as all that isn't that right that's correct and in fact um a little bit of data came out to support that um assertion um over the weekend over the past week on the cdc really tapping into data published in the new england journal of medicine uh, about a week ago um reported the cdc reported that there's about a 10 times reduction 10 times reduction um in significant illness if you're vaccinated versus unvaccinated that is an extraordinarily large number just to be clear most medicines are considered extremely effective if they result in a 10 percent not 10 time um, effectiveness or even a two percent effectiveness a lot of cancer drugs a lot of chemotherapy agents really result in like a 12 percent or a two percent or even a one and a half percent extension of um, lifespan um, and that's considered clinically significant despite significant side effects we're talking about a vaccine that is 10 times effective so that that report from the cdc came out of a uh a study from the new england journal of medicine uh revealing that there's approximately a 90 percent um reduction in presentation in presenting to the emergency room or hospitalization or death um for vaccinated people with the mrna vaccines um compared to unvaccinated individuals Again, we kind of knew that already, but it's nice to have a number that uh, we can speak to when we're talking to patients. 
The J&J vaccine, they also looked at that one in this New England Journal article, um, slightly less effective. Also, we kind of knew that, but about 70% um, effect, uh, effective at reducing um, hospitalization, ER visits, or death. And so what does that mean for vaccinated people who want to do something like go to the fair? It sort of sounds like the problem here isn't that individual vaccinated people are at risk. What sounds like is that the, because of all of the unvaccinated uh, numbers in our community, it's spreading and filling up the hospital and that, and that kind of stuff. But it's not that everybody is at risk equally. Well, Correct. Everybody is not at risk equally. I mean, that that goes without saying. And pretty much anything we do has some component of risk. Uh, we, you know, we know um, that if you are fully vaccinated um, and are relatively young and healthy, that your risk of getting severe COVID or even moderately severe COVID is markedly diminished. It could happen, to be sure, and it has happened, um, and it will continue to happen. But those risks are quite low. They are on the order of risks that we manage all the time. The risks of driving 253 from Boonville to Ukiah at night when you're playing deer bingo are far higher um deer than, chicken I yeah think. well whatever it is <laughs> it's no fun um but that kind of risk is much higher um on an individual basis than the risks of getting severe covid and it's important to keep that in mind when we talk about things like the fair what should have happened and what didn't happen um, is we should have had a vaccine requirement, a mandatory proof of vaccine to enter an event like this so we don't have all these nimrods spreading COVID amongst themselves if they're unvaccinated. Um, but that didn't happen because we don't have a public health officer who can make a hard decision. Um, and so now the fair has been authorized to go on uh, without a coherent policy to minimize risks. I think, frankly, that the risks to an individual, if you are young and healthy for something like this, are manageable. It certainly invites question if you are more elderly, um, have some, some significant uh, risk factor for getting COVID, even if you're fully vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, well, then you should obviously stay away. But I'm not speaking to those people, I very much suspect. You mean you might be speaking to them, but they're not listening to you. They're not listening to me. <laughs> Correct. Um, they might not be listening to the local coronavirus update. I don't know. They hate listening. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I hope know. so. Because hate on then. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so let's talk about the the non mandate that the oh, the, the U turn that happened. Uh, a craven uh, display of calisthenics. <laughs> Dr. Corin flip flopped last week on um, walking away from what is becoming a national trend and deciding that we're not going to require vaccination for indoor events. I'm flabbergasted. It really bespeaks a complete lack of understanding about his responsibility as the public health officer for the county. Um, it, it really bespeaks a political decision, an expedient decision, but it is craven. It's going to result in extended mortality and morbidity in this county. It's going to affect us all in a way that is completely unacceptable. Okay, so is that let's, clear enough? Yeah, okay. So backing up a little bit, uh -huh. let's, let's actually explain what the decision was and, and how things unfolded and why it might be so concerning to you? Well, 
early last week, he had spoken to the need for a vaccine requirement. Um, and right, and that was at the Board of Supervisors. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't sign in to watch the Board of Supervisors meetings live. I know that's shocking, but I have other things to spend my time on. But my understanding was we are going to move toward a vaccine requirement. And that, you know, follows really the public health guidelines at a national and state level. And we need a vaccine requirement. And the requirement, to be sure, does not mean we're going to hold you down and force you to get vaccinated. It requires that you be vaccinated if you want to participate in certain activities that put the rest of us at risk. So if you don't want to be vaccinated, you can stay home. You can stay out of indoor establishments. But if you want to have a job that involves federal money or even state money, if you want to work in a public service venue, then you need to be vaccinated, period, full stop. Um, Now, there will be exemptions. I'm not sure what the religious exemption would be. I'm not sure that there is a single religion that is anti-vax. It's certainly not the Catholic Church, which may be expected. Um, But the, the, the public health officer then met with some ill-informed members of the county um, with a perhaps a facially pro-business approach, but really that is misguided because business is not going to return to normal and COVID will continue to extract an economic cost until we get it under control. Um, But he met with them and reversed himself on Friday. And the logic, as I understand it, was... I would hesitate to use the word logic. (laughs) The politically expedient decision was gone. okay. So the decision was to instead of a mandate to require um, posting a poster at each place of business explaining what each business was doing uh, in terms of vaccination requirements, yeah. masking requirements, uh, in order to preserve individual choice mm-hmm. is, is how I understand. It. And this is where I start to scratch my head about yeah, it because I mean, it seems like the the problem is what's happening in the in the hospital right now, this the public numbers. health is not an individual choice, right? Public health is a public policy that needs to be designed to protect public health, right? If you want to talk about individual choice, then you get a lawyer and you talk about what individual choice means. I mean, at the top of this hour, we talked about a mandatory evacuation order in the fire region. You don't hear a lot of people saying, it's my right to drive down this road because I want to. And if that person did, he would be widely viewed as an imbecile endangering the lives of others. It's the same with the vaccine and public health. That doesn't seem to penetrate into this public health department, despite the fact that we're paying not one, but two doctors to do nothing other than craft a coherent policy to keep us safe. So, yes, I like the idea of hosting in front of businesses. It can be like the Michelin star system, but it could be, you know, the five dipstick system. You know, we have five dipsticks here. We don't mask and we're all unvaccinated and zero dipsticks means we are fully vaccinated. I love that, but that's not a coherent public health policy. That's, you know, that's Facebook policy. And it doesn't give the freedom of choice to people who want to be Not safe. die from COVID. <laughs> who yeah. want to go to a place where uh, there aren't a lot of yeah, and we're still you know we're still sitting on COVID. you know we're still sitting on patients in the ER waiting. 36, 48 hours to get to a center where they need to be transferred because there are still very, very tight beds all over Northern California, driven almost entirely currently by the unvaccinated population. 
All right. So I guess that means you're not in agreement with the public <laughs> health decision to require the, the poster. I, I, I love the five dipstick poster, though. I mean, I, I really think that's going to be helpful for all of us. Anyway, yeah. yes, I am not. <laughs> okay. I am not. Correct. Well, and... It, yeah, when you're talking about policies that are going to lower those numbers in the hospital beds rather than, you know, people, there are many, many people who are making their personal choice in our community to continue to live as business as usual without vaccination or even masking. I was in a small business in town on Saturday and one of the people working there was not wearing a mask. And that I, my personal choice to leave that that building as soon as i saw that person who actually worked there was made very very quickly but i didn't get to do what i wanted to do there I well was, that's you know. the, there are not a lot of business options in this county as well yeah. so you find yourself really with some limited options when you walk into a business that i was maybe less than pro worried. vaccine yeah anyway okay that's probably good on that front anything you else think? Oh, i could go on and on about that <laughs> we got some yeah, like, got some email questions we're going to open up the phone lines you want to go ahead and see if anybody's still listening? <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. 895-2448-707-895-2448 is the number in the studio here. We will be here until 4 o'clock. Do you want to go ahead and take one of the email questions to start out? Sure. Actually, before I do that, though, um, I did want to mention that there was another study that came out out of the New England Journal um, showing, you know, there's a lot of um, angst and it's understandable um, about the vaccine safety in pregnancy um, because the initial trials really didn't study it in pregnant women so there was no good clinical data um, in terms of its safety during pregnancy but a l- pretty large study coming out of the New England, published in the New England Journal this week um, showed no risk of miscarriage or adverse event with vaccination um, which is quite good news it's something that really allows us to have a more informed discussion with um, pregnant patients regarding vaccine so no risk means zero percent no increased risk of miscarriage when compared to unvaccinated wow. pregnant women that's awesome so, yeah yeah all right well we got a call why don't we take a we call do. and Let's then take we'll our first call. To... hello caller you are live on the air hello well i'm listening to them talking but i'm live on the air you are Hi. on the air hello is this Dr. Colfax? It is. Hi, I met you at the party for you. Great. Um, my, my, you mean my the, the, the retirement party of the show, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm listening because I'm going to be going on a trip to the East Coast. Okay. And I'm going to have to take a lot of public transportation. And so is wearing an E95 mask going to keep me reasonably safe? Yeah, so in your case, I I would definitely wear an E or a K or an N95. Um, And frankly, I would also, and it doesn't really make it more burdensome, um, I'd also wear a surgical mask over that and carry a pack of disposable surgical masks that you can then just sort of shed um, and thus keep your um, 95 a bit um, less loaded with potential viral um, droplets. Okay, that's a good idea. So I'll have to go buy some of those type of masks. Yeah, and they're they're pretty widely available at this point. Yeah, give them away at the clinic every time you go there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you would, so, you might also consider 
Um, I, I don't know your health status, and I don't need to hear it on the air, but you may consider getting the third shot since it is now authorized for immune-suppressed individuals. That would be, you know, that would add an additional layer of protection. Not a, not a deal-breaker, to be sure, but um, it, it might make you rest a little easier. Well, I'm just concerned about the people all over the world, and they're saying if we get the third shot, that then we're just being so superior because there's so many people who aren't getting any. No, I, oh, that is definitely a legitimate concern, um, but I don't think um, that concern necessarily should translate to your, I mean, I, I hesitate to say this, to your individual action, because it's not as though we are going to ship more or less vaccine given our current um, federal policy. Um, so, yeah, it's uh-huh. it's it's misguided on a national um, or world health um, platform to be certain, but um, given the realities of what we're doing as a nation with COVID um, mm-hmm. and as a yeah. world with COVID, yeah, I, I I would urge you individually to um, take advantage of the fact that we have a lot of extra COVID vaccines sitting around this country right now, and it's not about to be loaded up and shipped abroad. Okay, so now I have to figure out when and where to get one. I'm leaving on next Monday, so... It, yeah, you could probably go to a... I mean, you could go to a pharmacy. You would have to be immune-suppressed, and they would be able to do it pretty quickly. Well, I'm not immune-suppressed. I'm 79, but I'm not immune-suppressed. Well, that is... <laughs> The reality that a lot of us are dealing with, I would argue that anybody over the age of 75 is, in fact, Uh de facto immune suppressed. That's not the CDC's recommendation as of yet, Uh Um, but we certainly know that the immune system does not work um, as well as it used to, and it has a steady uh, deterioration past the age of 75. Uh So, So what about my clinic, Mendocino Coast Health? Well, I would talk to your providers there. Oh, the provider. Sometimes it's hard to talk to them, but I'll try to call them tomorrow morning and see what they have to say. Okay. All right. Thank you. Be safe traveling to to the New England region. (laughs) Bye. Bye. All right. I just got an email from Public Health that we've had two additional deaths in our community. Number 68 and number 69, both unvaccinated. Yes, and, and yet we have a public health officer that is allowing individuals to make informed decisions about public health on an individual basis. Insane. Call or email? Well, we have an email. Why don't we get to okay. one of them? We have several emails. Hi, Alicia. Here's something I'm wondering about. If somebody vaccinated gets COVID, parentheses, breakthrough case, and they will test positive for 90 days or so, even if they recover... Is that right? Um, Not necessarily. They may test positive for 90 days or even longer, or they might start testing negative within uh, a couple weeks. It is highly variable and not predictable. Uh, We do know that the sort of tail of positivity, if you will, does not translate to contagiousness. Um, And so that's why we don't urge or encourage people to get tested, to be cleared, to go back to school or work, etc. But continuing, um, so if they are infected again, which I'm hearing is possible, is there any way to test for that? So the answer is um, actually no, not reliably. The question would be um, if you're symptomatic or not. And so if you get reinfected um, and you've never 
cleared your test positivity um, because you are, you know, sort of going outside the guidelines and retesting yourself serially, um, then a positive test, if you're symptomatic, is going to be difficult to interpret uh, because you may have COVID again or you may have something else that's causing you to get symptomatic. We deal with this actually now at this point in the pandemic pretty regularly because we are seeing people all the time that tested positive back in June, July, or August, um, or even further back, and they come in and they need to be hospitalized for something or another, and they still test positive for COVID. So we don't really know whether they have new COVID or old COVID. That is so interesting. It's it's that's one word for it. But I, it's, yeah, I thought the whole <laughs> that question in and of itself is no. It's, it's a great. Like, it's a very good question. Yeah, and it really gets into know? the nitty gritty of how to manage. Um, pretty much all of healthcare during the pandemic. Uh, we, you know, by by necessity, presume that it's new infectious COVID with a new test. Um, you know, but that can be a little bit difficult too. This virus. Oh yeah, it's fun. Yep. Um, I just got a text from a friend of mine who said that she went to CVS in Ukiah for the third shot and got it. Yes. So you could try that. Yeah, but still, the the guideline, the recommendation, the FDA um, pro, uh, recommendation is immune suppressed, um, and not more than that. Okay, doke. All right, let's. That's take, the magic word, folks. Let's take a call, and it's eight nine five two four four eight. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, I have a couple of questions um, in regard to the outbreaks in the Ukiah area. Is it still um, safe, do you think, to go to the dentist then? Yeah, I mean, dentists are very careful um, with this pandemic, and we haven't really seen very many cases of dental transmission. Um, they all keep their masks on. Most of them wear air, eye protection or shields. Um, and after a year and a half of this pandemic, um, the the need for dental care is is present. It, you know, we could defer it for a few <laughs> months. Um, yeah. And so, yes, I would feel you know relatively comfortable or quite comfortable going to a dentist. Um, and receiving dental care. Um, I, I don't see that as a problem. I can tell you that I have received a lot of dental care in the last six months, much to my deep, deep pleasure. Was it comfortable? Oh, I loved it, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've gone once, but that was sort of when it was, at, excuse me, a bit of a lull. Mm -hmm. And now that, you know, I'm yeah. over in Lake County, which is terrifying, but my dentist is on South Dora Street, and he's absolutely wonderful over there, and he does suit up and everything, but I just keep hearing about how it's raging everywhere now. Yeah, I mean... So to, I was nervous. To be sure, you know, you're really not encountering a lot of people in a dental office, right? There are not going to be very many people no, in the waiting sure. room, and there's the, the hygienist or the dental assistant and the dentist, and there's not a lot of other people. And I think that the providers are going to be quite conscientious. Um to you know, not come into work if they're symptomatic, obviously, um, and right. so your exposure is your risk of exposure is quite low. Um, and okay, let me ask you another question about that too. Sure, I don't go out, which is crazy. I mean, I'm still locked in, so I'm probably going to die of something totally else, out, you know, like insanity. But um, <laughs> I got a flu shot in the car last week. Okay, uh, on Thursday. Can you get cold-like symptoms after a flu shot? Yes. I never usually. Okay, usually I just get really sick, but this year I got instead like just not as sick. 
or like cold like something like this. Well, I'm very sure that I don't need to rush and get a COVID test or anything for yeah. that. I mean, you know, the woman came out and gave it to me in the car. Very nice. Yeah, you can have And uh, the pharmacist. And so I just wanted to ask you. Yes, no, you can have you can have anything from mild flu like symptoms to cold like symptoms. That's that's not unusual at all. Oh, okay, great. Because usually my arm just falls off. Yeah, that, so this was different. My arm felt great, but I, I you know, yes. so I just, you know, we're paranoid now. What can I tell you? Well, we all are. And a little obsessive compulsive, which brand new. Who knew? <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for everything, and thanks you guys for the fire. Not you, but Alicia for the fire coverage last night. Sure. And um, yeah, you guys rock because I live in Northern Lake County, and you are our source. Well, oh, well, thank you for listening. Thanks. Yep, definitely. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's important. Thanks. All right, another call? Sure. It's the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio live with Dr. Drew Colfax, and the call-in number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. Hey, caller, are you still there? Yeah, I am. Hello. Yes. Oh, go ahead and turn your radio off. You, the radio is a seven-second delay, so it's a little confusing. Go ahead and turn it off, and then we, you can talk to us live. We're good now? Okay, yes. Go ahead. So, um, I'm in Clear Lake, and um, I'm 74, and uh, I have some other physical disabilities. But um, I want to say that um, just last week, I, um, I'm so pleased to, to tell you this. Um, the local public health nurse from Lakeport came out with a team and um, gave me my second shot. Now, it's been five months since I had my first shot at Adventist, but they never managed to get me back up there. Um, and um, Sutter Health also seemed to be totally unconcerned and didn't even have information, which I just am so astounded about. But I wanted to say all of those things to you because it may explain why there are continuing problems. Um, I know there's this great push, but there's not a lot of cohesion in getting people like me um, who are isolated and um, and getting them um vaccinated. So I'm pleased to say this incredible woman did come out. Um, it took about a month after she was notified. Are you still there? I'm listening, yes. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. And it was actually the, the, the county of Napa that notified her because I couldn't get any help calling public health here or anyone here. Um, and the county of Napa, their disability rights department contacted the disability rights in Ukiah, and they contacted the public health nurse in Lakeport. I think it's astounding. Goodness and gracious. I, I want to thank all of them. Um, I have a question, um, and that is, so I had some, some symptoms probably for about four days, three, four days after the second shot. Mm-hmm. And um, I was more than a little off. Um, better now. Um, but she said that I probably should go for the, the third test, but I needed, I mean, the third shot, but I needed to wait six months. Is that accurate? And um, and do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, so you're in a little bit of a, of a untested area there because you, there's such a long gap between your first and second shot. Um, right. And so really this is going to become a question of, you know, clinical gestalt um, rather than anything that's in <laughs> Forced by studies. I don't think you need, and, and my gestalt is this I don't think you need to wait six months 
for a third shot. Um, your your delay between your first and second shot, while unfortunate and certainly should have been foreseen and prevented by a coherent health system in this country and county. Um, any, any of them. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, the fact that it, you live in Lake County, went to Napa, Napa called Ukiah, and Ukiah called you know, Lake County is just, it bespeaks how completely incompetent we've been around this. Um, and, and I want to say I'm a patient both of Adventist Health and Sutter Health. Yeah, no, it's it's just, it's the really, facility. really frustrating, um, to say the least. Um, and, and I say that as, you know, an ER doctor who works at Adventist in Ukiah. Um, but to circle back to your question, which is when should you get your third shot or your booster, if you will, I would actually argue that you should just go ahead and get it in about 28 days um, from the shot you just received, um, rather than waiting six more months. I think we can safely set aside that first shot in terms of um, immune uh, response. I mean, we know it does something, but we don't. We also know it drops off fairly quickly. Um, the, sh- the vaccines are quite safe, and so your risk of moving it up, um, I think, is vanishingly um, less than your risk of not having a good immune response from falling outside the studied protocol for vaccination. Thank you. That's so very clear. And it was my thought, too, from listening to you so long. Um, Do you have any suggestions? I I was surprised when the nurse came. She actually looked at a national registry and found my first shot. So I'm thinking it's going to be really hard for me to get a third shot anywhere. Um, Certainly not at CVS. I imagine they're going to look up the national registry immediately, too. Um, And since it's not general policy, do you have any suggestions? You're right. It might be a problem, um, and you'd have to find a provider or a pharmacist that is, you know, willing to speak to you and listen to, you know, look at the data, um, look at when you're vaccinated. Um, it is going to be an individual um, uh, caregiver decision, um, and it's going to depend on their comfort. But if you're 74 years old with health factors, risk factors, um, I, I, I think that maybe not the majority, but um, perhaps the barest majority of providers would be very comfortable giving you the third booster um, well before the six-month delay. And to be sure, the six-month delay is just a made-up number as well, right? Because we're calling for an eight-month delay for immune suppressed. And, you know, this. so it's it's all just... <laughs> You know, flying by the seat of our pants. I would start by. I would back to begging. <laughs> yeah, I would start by calling um, your your primary provider um, and find out. You know, I don't know if they're in a clinic or not, but if they're in a clinic, most of these clinics now stop stock the vaccine and can get you your booster. So that would probably be the fastest and easiest way to at least get a preliminary answer. Well, thank you so much for your clarity. I really appreciate it. Sure, you're welcome. All right, thanks for thank the call. You. Eight nine five two four four eight. The phones are ringing off the hook, so let's take another one. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, uh, I have a question. I'm seventy four, type two diabetic. Does that fit into immunosuppressed? It does not, by any um, strict interpretation. No. no. Okay. All right. Thanks. But I don't, you know, I, I don't want people to start, you know, spiraling up and getting very anxious about getting this third booster. It is um, on an individual basis only marginally more protective. 
on a on a healthcare basis, on a public policy basis, um, there is adequate support to suggest that we should, as a nation, start vaccinating those at risk for doing poorly from a breakthrough case. Um, and those are the immune suppressed. Um, but the marginal benefit is just that. It is a small marginal benefit. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. So we're just kind of fighting for the 2%, the 1%. Yeah, so unlike the 10 times, you know, that I, we were talking about earlier, this is more like 10%. Uh-huh. Oh, there's still a lot, though. Yeah, no, it's not trivial, which is why, you know, it's been recommended. But that and we're is, moving, yeah. we're moving quickly toward a third booster, you know, and by the fall, I think the, the requirements are going to be moved down, um, you know, in terms of who qualifies for the third booster. But to be sure, really what we need to be doing is getting the first booster into everybody. Right. Uh, Or the first shot. Yes. Um, So that's been the whole, that's been the issue the whole time is this thinking about the individual versus the sort of epidemiological picture here. So it's not really... Yes, that's what public health is supposed to be doing. This again. I I know. I'm like a (laughs) hammer and everything I see is a nail right now. But, you know, I'm coming off five nights. But it's different. I mean, because we're all worried about our own safety and the safety of our friends, our kids, our parents, our loved ones. And we're Um, all sick of it. We want to be done with it. And what is protracting this is people not being vaccinated, period, full stop. Right. But when they're thinking about policy, this is about everyone. This is about how to stop the movement of this virus throughout our entire population. It's not about each individual necessarily. One would would think. But it's hard to not think of ourselves as an individual you're all individuals. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. All right, let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, hi. I'd like to ask Dr. Uh, Colfax what the risk uh, elements would be on the following scenario. Go for it. You're, okay, you're going to get, a, a, you're gonna a get an off-the-cuff. who is not vaccinated okay. and wearing a mask, holding an infant who's about four months old. What are the risks involved? All right. And this person has already had COVID, suffered three weeks, recovered, and feels as though she has a natural immunity, which will not affect the baby. So in that particular scenario, um, the person who had COVID and is masked, um, the likelihood that that individual has a recurrent asymptomatic case of COVID um, is quite low, right? Um, and so the risk of transmission to the infant um, is thus quite low. Additionally, we know still that infants, small children, um, and even up into teenagers, really don't get very sick from COVID. It's a little bit worse with Delta, um, but it's not a whole lot worse. It's really still on the level of an influenza um, illness um, in terms of morbidity and mortality. So it's a manageable risk, I think. Um, I will say this baby-holding friend of yours um, who has not been vaccinated should be educated about the fact that getting a vaccine is actually going to boost his or her immunity um, in a way that the natural immunity that he or she has um, is not. And it's also going to boost immunity against the Delta, which this individual may not have had if she was he or she was infected you know, prior to, say, April or May of this year. Yes. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I so, was just thinking that the the infant has no immunity, you know, very little immunity. Yeah. So no. I was thinking that might be more exposure, you know. Any exposure to an infant is obviously fraught. That drops off pretty quickly after 30 days. So the immune system more or less comes online after 30 days um, in a way that is a bit more effective. Uh, you know, if I were the parent of a four-month-old, I'm not sure that I would want um, an unvaccinated person holding my baby. Um, but that's more my irritation uh, with unvaccinated individuals rather than the absolute risk um, for that infant. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Doctor. You're welcome. So well, that's transparent. Oh, well, you know, I'm transparent. <laughs> if nothing, I am transparent. Yeah. All right. We'll take our next call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Go you ahead. You want to hold him. my baby? You got to get the shot. In fact, I think. Yes, I have a follow up question to that lady's question. Yes. I have a mother who is not going to get vaccinated for political reasons, but I not going to try putting out that fire. Um, <laughs> she's going back east to visit my other part of my family. Coming back within a week of me having a brand new daughter brought into the world, and she's going to want to come visit, and I'm telling her, no way. How long can I tell her to go pound sand over where she lives? Well, you know, as I just said, 28 days is an absolute rule, I would suggest. Um, beyond that, you know, it's a question of how much you want to antagonize your mom versus expose your infant son or daughter. Um, I, it's, it's difficult, right? She's going to be traveling across the country. She's unvaccinated. She apparently doesn't believe in science or taking care of her own health or her community's health. And so that risk, that level of risk is real and present. Um, I would presume that she wants to try to keep her new granddaughter or grandson safe. Um, but actions bespeak otherwise. So I would, you know, I would frankly wait at least three months. Be under three months, you start to, you know, you start to have increased risk of poor outcomes. It's not just COVID though, right? It's everything else. And so, you know, right. it's, it's, it's a difficult decision because I don't think, you know, absolutely or even relatively the risk of um, illness from COVID for the infant is higher with COVID than it is with other infantile diseases like RSV or even influenza that we really haven't started seeing yet. But, you know, I don't know when this travel is or when the birth occurs, but it, in flu season's coming this year and it's going to be, you know, probably worse than last year's. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's at least 28 days, 30 days, um, extending out to 90, um, if you want to be more careful. Perfect. Thank right. you so very much. I appreciate it. Hang in there. Good luck. Thanks for the call. Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about it. All right. You're I'm, moving on. Good. That's good because it sounds really hard. Those are the kind of situations that we're dealing with during this pandemic that are just heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, I it's the, the number of cases that i saw with sort of heartbreaking scenarios over the course of the last four to yeah. five days it just it's really really frustrating and it's really sad you know you know covid positive parents with sick infants that need to be flown to you know the bay area um and 
parents can't fly because they have COVID, but they're, you know, both because they're unvaccinated. So it's just, it's very frustrating. Ouch. Yeah. All right, let's take, we have about, mm, we have about six minutes left. Let's take one more. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Great. I will turn off my radio. Hello? Hello. Um, I want to follow up on the question. Um, I work with a 25-year-old who had COVID probably in June, mm-hmm. and um, it was not a severe case. Uh, her mother got a worse case, uh, though. But... Um, so she is not wanting to get a vaccine, um, thinking that she uh, has immunity. Why should she do that? So what what should I tell her? Yeah, it's it's a good question. She does have some degree of immunity, um, to be sure. So I, I think it's uh, it's important to recognize that and not just be absolutist about it. Um, but we do know um, that people get reinfected with COVID and they get sick with COVID all over again. And some people actually get pretty sick, even if they've had the vaccine or if they've previously had COVID. Particularly, you know, with these new, this new variant coming around um, and dominating our current disease landscape. So the vaccine. Vaccine um, offers an additional boost um, after a COVID illness. It produces a better immunity, uh, we think, um, than the natural immunity induced by an actual illness. It also acts as a more or less a cheap way to further boost your immunity against future infections because you already have an immune system that recognizes COVID. You're retraining it. Um, It's kind of like, you know, looking at flashcards over and over again. You're retraining your immune system to recognize this this bugaboo and um, snuff it out before it can take hold in your system. And so I would really structure my conversation with this 25-year-old around that fact. Like, if you want to learn something, you don't just read it once and learn it. It, right, you need to read it over and over again, or at least a couple times, or at least most of us do. Um, and the immune system works the same way. So, an extra exposure in the form of a vaccine um, is going to give this individual protection against future COVID illness. And you know, he or she, even though they didn't get all that sick from it, which is normative for most 25 year olds, it's still not a very pleasant illness. Um, and the Delta variant is, from what I have seen, more unpleasant than the earlier flavors. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thanks Bye-bye. for the call. Bye-bye. Um, all right. You want to take that last email? Oh, do I still have one here? I think so. All right. Where am I? Super quick, though. We have yes. like three minutes. It is. I have to see some family members as soon as I have my booster shot. I'm concerned about visiting one family member as they're not vaccinated and have been living our lives as normal and not wearing masks. Do you think it is safe for me to stay with this family after getting the third shot? I'm a 67-year-old healthy woman. So I'm not sure why a 67-year-old healthy person is going to be getting the third booster shot, but I'm going to set that aside. Um, I... You know, it sounds like she's going to be staying, which is to mean, which is to say, living in the same house uh, with people who are unvaccinated and unmasked and going about doing whatever they want. I got to say no. I mean, the vaccine is extremely effective, but 
it's not 100% effective. Um, and we have seen more than a few breakthrough cases. It's still a, a, a quite a low risk, to be sure. Um, it's probably a little bit higher than uh, the risk that we would see with that type of activity during the peak of a nasty flu season, um, which might be manageable for you. I'm not sure how important this um, visit is, but that's a risk that you should at least recognize. All right. Good answer. We're going to bring it, bring our, we're at the end of the show here. We're going to bring it to a close. Uh, I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. This is the local coronavirus update. Any last words? Be safe, folks. And we'll be back next Monday. Yes. We're uh, right. Post fair after the (laughs) mass breakout cases that we're going to see from the county fair. Well, we won't know yet. No, we won't. But we are going to live broadcast the um, sheep sheepdog trials. Here on well, KZYX that is on certainly the cr- most crowded event at the county fair. Yeah. Well. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm vaccinated. Yeah. So I'll be there. Um. Yeah. And we. But you don't have to go out into the crowds. You can just listen to the radio at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. So that's good. I I do love the sheepdog trials. We are here for you. All right. Be safe, everybody. If you are thinking of going to the county fair, which is a big deal over here in our little valley. Um, make sure you mask up, socially distance, wash your hands, do all the COVID things, and try to minimize the risk to yourself and your community. Stay outside. Stay outside. All right. We will be back, like I said, on Monday at 3 o'clock. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. And uh, you can listen to this show again at the podcast, KZYX, local coronavirus update. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at KZYX.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.